Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guests today are Rich Ezra and Eric Knight from Music Business Television. First of all, musicians and artists and bands have all had great hopes for the metaverse being a brand new revenue source for them, but those hopes might have to be put on hold. A new report from Deloitte says that the metaverse can't perform with the internet infrastructure that we're using now. Even if 5G rolls out as planned, it still won't work. And as you may know, when you see 5G on your phone, usually it's just partially implemented. But if it gets fully implemented and it gets really, really fast, it's still not going to work. The grand vision of the metaverse suggests that it can support a lot of people, large numbers of users, and they'll all be wearing their unique avatars, personalized with digital goods and interacting and transacting with everybody in a lot of different hyper-realistic spaces. The internet today was designed for something a lot different though. We want to consume content, so it's designed to optimize download speeds. The metaverse is an interactive experience and that requires faster upload speeds and a very low latency. As a result, fixed fiber networks might be able to support this, but wireless networks just won't in the foreseeable future. So what has to happen? The telephone companies need to get denser networks of wireless cell towers and adapt to true 5G for one thing. The other thing is cloud computing that we use today offers way too much latency, so more data centers are going to be needed and they're going to have to be built closer to where users are. This is going to require a large influx of money that might be hard to come by. The metaverse may be in development, but it's never going to be realized unless the internet gets a significant upgrade. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Recording Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on the latest cutting-edge recording technology, multiple ways to mic over 70 different instruments, a new chapter on recording immersive audio, new hitmaker engineer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at go.bobbyosinski.com forward slash recording dash engineer. That's go.bobbyosinski.com forward slash recording engineer. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, everyone in the music business or even remotely connected to it knows about Marshall amplifiers. They're just so iconic. What most people don't know is that Jim Marshall was actually a drum teacher in the Hanwell portion of London, and he opened his dream music store in 1962. He had quite a reputation as a drumming teacher, and that attracted a lot of young musicians, including Pete Townsend and Richie Blackmore, so many others. One of his students was actually Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix Experience. The thing about it is, Fender amplifiers at the time were really hard to get in the UK. There was actually an import limit, so you couldn't really find them. And as a result, there were amplifiers, but there was nothing like these Fenders. So all the guitarists that hung around Jim Marshall's shop 
kept asking him to build an amplifier, just like one app in particular, the Fender 4x10 Bassman. Since he couldn't get the exact same parts as Fender used, he used the UK equivalents, and that changed the sound. But the British sound was born. Through the years, Marshall became the sound of rock and metal, thanks to so many of the great British guitar players like Eric Clapton and Pete Townsend and Jimi Hendrix all using them. Now, Marshall Amps has been sold to Zound Industries. That's a Swedish company that's been licensing the Marshall brand for its headphones and Bluetooth speakers for about 12 years now. The Marshall family will still retain a 24% ownership, and as these things go, everyone says that nothing is going to change with the product. That's probably true, at least in the short term, but you can be sure that any Marshall amp that was built pre-Zound will now sell at a premium. My guest this week is Rich Ezra and Eric Knight of Music Business Television. Mubu TV takes music business education out of the classroom using interviews with music industry heavyweights to help artists empower their careers. Rich is a former A&R executive Arista and co-founder of the Music Business Registry, the music industry's leading contact directories for personnel in A&R, music publishing, film and television music, music law, and artist management. Eric Knight is a musician, teacher, and entrepreneur whose new venture, Symbiotic Nation, aims to reinvent the music industry by becoming its version of Google. During the interview, we spoke about how labels struggle to break their own artists, the depth of knowledge that artists need to be effective today, the music business journey, the latest trends in the music business, the idea behind Mubu TV, and much more. I spoke with Rich and Eric via Zoom. Give me a short synopsis, Rich, of your background. My background, I I started in the music business in the late 70s. I I started with Record World magazine, and then uh, I got an internship at A&M in radio promotion. And and then I went to Arista Records in the early 80s and did radio promotion for about six months and then uh, transferred into A&R. And I was in the A&R department for, I guess, about seven years from uh, 81 until 87. And then I went into teaching. I taught courses on the music industry, which is how you and I met. We met at Trevis Institute in the uh, 80s, early 90s. And I did that from 86 to 93. And then uh, formed my company, the Music Business Registry, which is the directory business that I have. We publish all of the contact information for labels for publishers, for attorneys and managers, and film and TV music supervisors. And now with this new project, Eric and I formed uh, Mubu TV, which is music business television, in about 2012, uh, after we met and you know discussed the whole idea of basically taking education out of the classroom and providing a whole new kind of vehicle for people to learn. And that, that sort of you know is a short synopsis of, of my background. Well, I really want to get into uh, the last part there. Taking education out of the classroom is a nice carrot to dangle in front of me here. <laughs> Let's go to Eric. Eric, how about your background here? Yeah, my background is uh, I've been a musician, professional musician for many, many years now. And I uh, grew up, born and raised in Florida, came over here to Los Angeles. I kind of, to rewind a bit, I was in Florida did everything I could with my career over there, opened up for some huge bands and 
you know, got signed to a deal in, uh, for EMI years and years ago and then made my way to here in Los Angeles, where ironically enough, there is a story here with all three of us, which Bobby's not going to remember, but uh, obviously Rich is going to remember because I've told him the story and it has to do with you directly. We, uh, we I met Rich. I knew about Rich for many, many years, like everybody else does. Everybody knows Rich. Rich, I call Rich the Oracle, like in the Matrix, like everybody <laughs> knows who he is. And ironically enough, my uh, my alma mater is Musicians Institute, and you, Bobby Osinski, I think it was called Music 3.0 or something like that. You were giving a speech, um, and uh, Rich was moderating it, and I thought that that was going to be my opportunity to meet Rich. Well, I met both of you that night because I had wanted to meet you because I had your book. And uh, ironic, that was the night that I first got the nerve to meet Rich. And that's how the whole thing started with us, me and Rich. And that's what ended up leading to Boo Boo TV. So in a weird way, you connected us. <laughs> well, good to know. At least something good came out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a weird connection. So I, I just thought I'd share that story with you because, uh, you know, it was a great conversation that night. And uh, like I said, you know, it was a it was a great time to to, to meet all of you. And uh, yeah, it turned into this long, fruitful relationship with Rich. So the interesting thing here is the connection between being in school, so to speak, and then moving outside something formal like that. Yet it's uh, in many ways more vital, as you guys have found out. So let's talk about Music Business TV and how that started. Yeah, well, that I think started uh, me and Rich. Like I said, after after the meeting at your event, I set up a time to meet up with Rich and I kind of had pitched him on a couple of ideas that I had of, of projects that I was working on. And, I, you know, all, all I knew is I wanted Rich to be involved in some capacity. So I pitched him a few projects. He had pitched me kind of like the impetus of what Mubu TV became. And we both kind of had similar kind of notions of what, what should be happening. And we just decided from one day to the next, why don't we just start working on this project together? And that's how the impetus for kind of uh, Mubu TV started. And Rich, you could probably expand on that better. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I mean, you know, Bobby, I, I've known you a long time and, you know, we met in the education space, you know, where you were teaching at Trevis and I was teaching there as, as well. And my whole thing was, is that as time went on, you, you've seen this and you've written about it, independent artists and music became something that was more about more people doing it than just the ones that got signed to big labels, which is what it used to be in the 80s and 90s. And so the whole idea of how artists need to learn about their profession, if this is to be their career, um, became greater and greater. I mean, your whole career is dedicated toward educating people, engineering, you know, teaching about mixes, teaching about the necessary things. And there's, there's a lot there that people have to learn. It's not just, you know, really simple. And if you think about everything that you do, Bobby, and everything that we do, back in the day, all those systems were in place to do that for artists. You know, the label had all of that taken care of. They, they had the tour support, the management, the agents, all of that. They had the production. Recording was something that you did in multi-million dollar facilities with trained professionals and people like yourself at, who charged a lot of money to do it. And you couldn't find them on every corner. Now we live in a world where the ability to, that was only available to a few is now available to many. And so the idea of artists needing to really learn about the profession sans a label 
really became pronounced. You know this because you write about it all the time. It really became pronounced, especially in the last 10 years, where more and more and more and more on a worldwide level, independent artists began to develop independent careers for themselves. And these were artists who were unsigned and independent careers in terms of getting an agent. I was on a panel a couple of years ago where APA, the head of APA, said that he had something like 85 artists signed to his roster, APA, who did not have record deals. But they had managed to build up a significant enough base to where it made sense to represent them on that level, APA. I mean, that's like one of the big agencies. And you see this all the time. So this was a great impetus for us to basically build Mubu TV as an educational platform to give artists and, and bands and so forth the necessary information they needed to build a career today. Because as Eric was saying, it is something you can do today. It wasn't something you could do years ago. The systems and the technology and all that wasn't in place for that. And this is why Mubu TV and the vision for Mubu TV is that we want to be on the front lines with people such as yourself. We, we've, you know, I've interviewed you for the show who can really talk about what does it take in various areas to actually achieve this? What does it take in management? What does it take in, in recording? What does it take in production to really put your recordings out there and to present yourself in the best way? And more and more and more and more and more artists in 2023 are being able to do this and have careers. So that was the, that was the impetus and what the vision is for what we want Mobu TV to be about. Well, there's so much to unwrap here. One of the things is, yes, everybody can do it. Now, there's so much more information. There's so much more capability. But the fact of the matter is, there's we're also lacking the filters that we used to have. And as a result, the competition is skyrocketed. So the only way you can get on top of that is to know more and just have that knowledge so you can get ahead. Otherwise, if you're just like the way it used to be, you're an artist. And this is all I do. Those days are kind of over. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was it's exactly like what you said. The thing is, is that now everybody can do it and there's just a big glut of stuff that's not so good. It's like, it's almost like the faucet has turned on and it's not stopping. Like a pipe is broken and it just keeps shooting out water. Uh, There is no more filters. That's like such a beautiful way to put that because it's true. So, you know, and, and you're seeing it now with labels having such a struggle trying to break their, their own artists. I, I mean, we were on a podcast earlier, me and Rich, that we were just talking about this very thing. It's like not about the check that you can write anymore because that doesn't even work. I don't care how much money you're throwing at things. Uh, it takes something more to break through the noise. And that's, you know, it goes back to great songs, but there's got to be a message behind it and, and so much more uh, today, like what you guys were saying before. So. Yeah, the, 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 the issue you're talking about, Bobby, is, is a profound one. It's that we live in an era where attention is the most valuable commodity of all. And I've realized that the reason for that, the reason attention is the most valuable commodity is because we live in an era now, as you very, very well said, where that element cannot be bought. It simply can't. You can't say, Bobby, how big do I need to make the check for this to have the impact? You used to be able to do that. Hell, television shows used to be able to do that. Movie studios used to be able to do that. And we don't live in that world anymore. It would be as ridiculous as me saying, Bobby, get off of that computer and back on that IBM Selectric typewriter. You'd be like, what era are you living in? This is the real problem. It's, it's getting attention. And 
And I've realized that what you said is a very important component of that, the depth of your knowledge. And this is something that I got to give Eric a lot of credit for as far as my education. He has educated me as to the depth of knowledge that one needs to have in order to do this effectively. It's a lot. It's not just, as you know, Bobby, you're on the front lines of this. It's not just recording people and putting podcasts out there. It's a lot of time, energy, effort, creation, curation. It's a lot. And I don't think artists, musical artists are any different in terms of the approach or the attitude that they have to have toward their career if this is to be their profession. You know, it's quite different if you're going to say, well, you know, I want music to be a hobby. And music, as you know, can be a great hobby. Doesn't mean it's your living. Doesn't mean that it's your profession. And if it's going to be a profession, you got to have that depth for artists today. I come across a lot of artists who are greatly talented, but they don't want to do what's necessary in terms of the other stuff that we're talking about to actually have a career. That's the, the conundrum, you know, the, the, the push-pull. It's a challenge. Let's stay philosophic for a second here. And in that direction, what you just said, naturally for an artist, they want to create. That's the most fun. That's what they want to do. And the vast majority of them don't want to deal with anything else. So the big problem here is you have some artists that are naturally tuned to social media, to TikTok, doing videos, they just feel it. They know how to do it. Well, they're at an advantage, and everybody else that doesn't want to do that is a, at a serious disadvantage. So I guess my question is, how do you reach those people to tell them that, well, wait a second, you need to know a little bit more, you need to do a little more than you are, and convince them that that's important? Eric, you want to address that? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, you know, I think it really starts from the beginning. I mean, it hasn't changed since the beginning of the music business. You, it all starts with great music, like, you know, the late, great Don Grierson, one of our friends. I don't know if you know Don oh, or yeah. Bobby. He's a legend. And, uh, you know, it, it all starts with the music. So let's just start with that baseline. If you've got great music, you're already ahead of the game by like, you know, 50, 60%. Now, the other part of that equation is, is trying to figure out who your audience is, because it's not going to be everybody. We're not living in that world anymore that we have three channels and there were six record labels. Now it's just like, you know, it's the, it's the faucet uh, analogy that I used earlier. Now it's just like, you've got things coming at you from everywhere. So as an artist, the second part of that equation, if you are working so hard towards building your art and building your craft, if you're good at doing the TikTok videos and all that stuff, that's great. Do that. But if you're not good at doing these other things, then you have to kind of start building a team around that. And whether it's your friends and you train them or, you know, they get formal training, somehow they go to school, whatever it is that they're doing, that's kind of what it has to take today. And, you know, and then the second part of that equation is finding out who your audience is, because a lot of artists don't know they 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 take all this time to craft their art it sounds great and everything but then when they go to market this they they're like you know where do i even begin because they don't have a clue so it's asking those questions early on as an artist who my target audience is what do i believe in what do i stand for is it a social cause is it you know gay rights is it you know politics is it a political social change that you're trying to create with your music once you start establishing those things, then you can start developing on who your avatar is. You know, you can think of your your male avatar, what that 
fits in there, your female avatar. And then you start trying to figure out where those people are congregating in and then just start going after them. So that's kind of like just, you know, I'm giving you like little bits and pieces, but it's a lot for any artist to kind of take that and go, wow, that's like already way over my head. So that's kind of what it takes today to be an artist. And, you know, again, if it's somebody that's an artist that does not um, know how to get from point A to point B, we'll start trying to put together the pieces and try to get a team assembled, uh, whether they have a lot of experience or not. There's a lot of great stories. I mean, you hear Dave Matthews and his manager, and he's got one of the biggest management companies in the world, Red Light Management. Now they just started that like, you know, from the bottom up. Same thing with uh, U2 and uh, Paul McGinnis. I mean, there's so many examples of people that started as friendships developed and then they became their managers and, you know, building their team from there. So the way I see it, there, if there's a will, there's a way. But I think that you really, as an artist, have to have to start asking yourself those really deep questions and really kind of examine what it is that you're trying to accomplish and then go from there. You just hit on something that I never thought of until right now. We're talking about you two, and you're talking about Dave Matthews and, and how they started with their management from the ground up, but they're bands. And for some reason, I maybe I'm wrong. It's a bad assumption, but I, I, let me throw this out here. It seems like it would be easier if you're a band because you're going out, you're playing, you're more exposed to everybody, so you're going to find people that are attracted to you, to, that want to work with you. As a single artist, a solo artist, which most are these days, that they don't perform so much, that has to be a lot harder. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong, but you've got examples of that. Ani DeFranco. I mean, there, there's millions of examples that I can give of solo artists that have kind of started like that from the ground up. That that kind of. But she's older thing. though. That, that's a little different. She, I think. Well, she's older, but I mean, but my whole thing is, is that she started like a real grassroots thing, and th those kind of things haven't changed as far as marketing is concerned. I mean, yeah, we do have Facebook ads. You can run, you know. I mean, that's the great thing about the technology that we have now that you may not necessarily have to go out on tour and start running those fans over. Now you can just set up a video, set up a campaign on, you know, if it's an impactful video and if it's great music that's around that, you can literally start building an audience overnight running Facebook ads. If they're done the right way, Instagram, YouTube ads. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to kind of skin the cat it's just a matter of finding what that way is and and doing it. So, you know, those are the pros and cons of today's technology. I, I think where a lot of artists fail, and me and Rich talked about this recently, is that you, you get an artist, and this is everybody that, you know, spends their heart and soul and their hard-earned money or, you know, trying to create this art. And this, the the part that eludes them is the is the part that's most important to the music, which is marketing and getting it out there. You know, they go and they put it out. They don't get any results. And they're like, oh, OK, I guess nobody, you know, like, what did you expect? If nobody is listening to it or finding it is because you're not doing that second part of that equation. And I think that's where a lot of artists get frustrated. And I think if they were to be educated more and that's what we're trying to do with Mubu TV and what you're doing in your podcast is to educate the community that it's not just about the art. That's great. That that's all fine and well, but we're living in a different era now and you have to kind of know these things. And if you don't want to do those things then you have to make a decision, do I want to do this as a career or do this for my life or do I not want to do it? And you know, like what Rich was saying earlier, if it's a hobby, great. But if I really want to pursue this as a, as a real dream, 
then you have to take the necessary steps. And I think to add one more thing, Bobby, to what Eric was saying, which I think is very important, music is not generic. Careers, as you well know, are not generic. You don't treat an R&B act the same way as you would a rock band, just in terms of the audience, the marketing approach, who you're trying to reach, how you're trying to reach them. So artists, in terms of answering your, your question, have to look at who their audience is. And the next part of that element is how do I reach that audience? You know, um, and if you don't know the answers to those questions, that's okay. But I hope you're committing yourself to learning the answers. Otherwise, you're just doing this. Hello? Is anyone there? Hello? Is anyone there? In today's day and age, in an era where there's 50, 60,000 songs a week or, or a day or whatever it is, that's the key. And the commitment has to be long-term. You didn't build your podcast in 20 minutes. It, careers aren't built in 20 minutes either. Most successes that we see, you know, have you heard of this guy, Russ? The, the hip-hop guy, Russ? One of the most successful independent artists ever. I mean, huge. He just did a, a seven-figure deal with Sony. He's been building his career since 2016. How he did it, I mean, I've listened to the thing. He did exactly what Eric was telling me telling you just now, but he did it piece by piece, identifying his audience, feeding them constantly, building it. Billie Eilish did the same thing. Most people don't realize she just sort of appeared. No, she came out at 14 with a song called Ocean Eyes and built a career over the next three and a half years, song by song by song by video by video, until she finally released an album at 17 or 18 years old. There was a, a bass built. So there was a lot of time, energy, and commitment spent doing that um, on her part. So that's what I think is the important thing, um, is learning that. And you, unfortunately, as you identified, Bobby, have a lot of artists that simply don't want to be a part of that process, or it's not the fun part. I get it. But again, if this is to be your career or their career, then you have to either find people who are willing to do that. Um, or as Eric was saying, learn to do it yourself and learn to find the platforms and the mediums that work for you and for your art, and your audience, because it ain't the same as Ariana Grande or The Weeknd or, you know, so it's not generic. It's not like an athletic shoe. No such thing, by the way. There's basketball shoes. There's track shoes. There's, you know, uh, golf shoes that they're all distinct. And I think careers, especially in music, and you know this as a producer are exactly that. You don't treat the mix of a up-tempo dance song the same way you would a rock ballad. It's, it's just you don't. And the audiences, I think, are the same exact thing as well when you're talking about building a career. Let's switch to Mubu TV for a second. I know you're relaunching, so there's a hiatus there. And I'm just wondering, was that about COVID? Partly, in part, it was for COVID and there were some other things that happened both personally uh, during this. And so there was a kind of these starts and then we had to stop for, uh, for, for several reasons. Some of them were personal, but yeah, the, the, this last thing was, you know, during COVID that's actually when we were starting to really get cranked up and, you know, it's been a building process for us for the last couple of years to get to this point where we just launched about a month ago or at the time of this recording. And, uh, yeah, the journey has been a long one to get here, but yeah, those were the reasons kind of of what happened. But 
in a weird way, it was a blessing in disguise for us because now we feel we've learned so much about, you know, number one, YouTube and how the platform works. Cause that's kind of like our bread and butter is our YouTube videos. And the podcast was just an extension of the video series. And it was something that I thought, you know, where we, we both thought we could take a deeper dive with the people that we're interviewing and get really, really into the weeds with, with a lot of subject matter uh, that will help the audience for people that, you know, consume that long form content on the podcast versus our shorter form on, on YouTube. So uh, yeah, so this is kind of like the relaunch and yeah, it, Rich could probably expand on that more. This has been a long, long journey. Yeah, it, it has been. I mean, COVID was a part of it, but there was also a thing of, you know, getting the, the necessary people. And I, I think, you know, I, and I say this, you know, with, with, with the knowledge that you, Bobby, have in-depth knowledge of what we're talking about because you're on the front lines doing this. You know what it takes to record these things and edit and put the things out and the social media and the website and the emails and the marketing and the machine that goes along with that. And that was a very, very big component of setting that up initially, which is why I, I don't think Eric and I really had an understanding. I, I don't, I, I'll say I didn't. I think Eric probably had more of an understanding of what that was going to take to do than I did. Um, and so it took us a long time to do it, but in the process, we managed to get, you know, I think it was, you know, right around COVID when we started developing the whole concept. Uh, I think I'm correct in that, Eric, uh, on the podcast and being able to call up people and go on these deep dives with people like John Kaladner and Michael Alago and top music supervisors and, and so on and so forth uh, to add that element to Mubu TV. So, yeah, there was we, we never really had. The elements together prior. So we're saying relaunch in that we had kind of a, a platform out there, but it wasn't really what it is now. It wasn't a full moving machine. I, I guess that's the best analogy I can use the way that it is now. Rich, you just mentioned some of your guests that you had, but let's expand on that. Who else have you had on or will be having on? Uh, we oh. have a uh, Rudy Sarzo coming up. We have uh Amber Horsberg. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other uh, people, Rich. Um, we have um, Ariel Hyatt, who um, is PR and marketing. Ari we have, yeah, Ari Herstan. We we have um, the head of A&R for the Walt Disney Group, um, Mio Vukovic. We have... Um, Sass Metcalf, uh, uh, president yeah, for Sa Cobalt, former president. Yeah, president of creative for Cobalt Music Publishing. We've had um, Bill Murphy, who's the head of uh, music for what's it, is it uh, Schubert Dump? Music Publishing. Schubert Schubert Music Publishing. Um, we have uh, who else? Um, uh, Johnny Minardi, uh, uh, Electra A and R. Of Electra's A and R department. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a real wide variety of people from all parts of the industry: music supervisors, attorneys. I mean, we got a you know a real agents real wide swath. Yeah. Okay, here's another one for you then. So, in talking to all of these heavy hitters that you're having on, what did you learn? Was there something that you went back and you went, "Wow, I didn't realize that." <laughs> well, one of the things that was consistent in what we learned is that every one of them, it's a journey. 
Every one of them, no, none of these people had a career out the gate. None of them ever built their companies or had great success in like the first year. That, that was a consistent thing in every single conversation we had, whether it was with a manager or a songwriter or these big publishers, that it was, you know, little, little steps along the journey. So that was the thing I learned is that in order to have success in this business, you have to be committed to it as a way of life. I think that that's been consistent with everybody who we've talked to. And there has to be that commitment to the journey, uh, whether you're an A&R person or a manager or a publisher. The other thing that we've learned that I think has really been consistent throughout that was fascinating. And, and I know you know this, Bobby, because you deal with talent on, a, on an intimate level producing them, is all of the non-creative qualities that people look for in artists. Not the great talent, that's the given, but the non-creative qualities. What's their work ethic? What's their attitude? What's their behavior? What are they like in terms of their values? That kind of stuff is very rarely spoken about in terms of who am I going to take on and sign and who am I not going to take on? That became something very consistent in all of the interviews that we learned that people look for that and it's not spoken about. It's not like, well, I'm going to, you know, Bobby, what are you, you know, what's your work ethic like? It's like they look for that in a nonverbal way. Like how committed are you? Andy Gould, the, the famous artist manager once said, one of the most heartbreaking things he ever experienced as a manager was realizing that he was more committed to the success of his artists than they were. Mm, yeah. And he had a couple acts like that. And he said, nothing was more heartbreaking than that because I realized I gave years of my life to somebody who it was more important for me than it was for them. And I knew I couldn't write the songs. I couldn't perform the, the, the shows. And, you and he had to let it go. So that was something that was consistently in all of the interviews, very important. Um, and a lot of them spoke about certain artists that they didn't sign, which is interesting because of that. There's that great story that Tom Zutat from Geffen A&R used to talk about, like when he met um, uh, Jane's Addiction, it wasn't work ethic. He just realized he wasn't the right person for them to have success with. I remember him saying years ago, he said, somebody's going to have a lot of success with them. It's just not going to be me. And that's a very, that's an unspoken thing. You very rarely hear A&R people say, I found a brilliant act and I'm letting them go because I know I'm not the right one. So, so that, those are sort of the unspoken things. And I, and I think that was an important element that Eric and I got from a lot of the interviews of, in terms of what we learned. That was the most fascinating and I say that because it's something that often isn't spoken of in these kinds of conversations. Eric, how about you? I think uh, I wanted to add one more that uh, Rich uh, talking about this was gut instinct and how each of whether we were talking to an A&R person uh, or a manager, how much they base their gut instinct on the decisions that they make. And, it, you know, and it's kind of cool hearing that because, you know, it's, it's that thing where we're, we're going on based on what we know. And a lot of times I think a lot of people get confused when they think of A&R people. I'll, I'll use it as an example that they think that they're just signing things because of, you know, because it's just the popular thing. And, and there's probably some A&R people that are out there that do do that. But for the most part, in my estimation of all the interviews that we've conducted, 
I haven't heard one of them say that. I've seen I've seen them all say that I base this on my gut and what I felt inside and what I think, you know, I not only what I can do for this band, but what I'm feeling from the music and everything. And so that that I thought was a real interesting thing that I picked up. Okay. So you guys certainly were on the bleeding edge of all this in many ways. First of all, you've been dealing with artists, you know what they're thinking, and also with the industry, and you know what they're thinking. So now I'm looking for what you're thinking on this. What are the trends in the business that you're seeing? Is there something that's going on that people aren't realizing? I think one of them that that we're trying to uncover with Mubu TV as we explore more, especially with the independent artists are the artists that you're seeing that are having major success without labels. That's one of the big calling cards of what we're trying to do with Mubu TV is to try to show the artists that are out there that you don't necessarily have to have a record label behind you to do this. There are artists that are doing this right now that are having massive success that you have never heard of before. And they're selling out, everywhere they play. And we're talking about major venues. So that's, I think, a big unspoken thing because obviously the the labels don't want that. They want to grab those acts. But I think more and more artists are becoming just that, more independent and more self-sufficient. And what we're trying to uncover is that whole thing about how they are going about building that self-sufficiency and self-sustaining career. What about you, Rich? I know there was something else you were thinking. Yeah, I think there is that one of the things that we're seeing on, on the cutting edge is that labels don't have the power that they once did, the power of, you know, we are the, the, one, the, the be all and end all that you want to have as your destination. That's one thing. The, the other trend that I'm seeing when you speak to people like we do is that they can't always get the artists that they want because the artists are very happy being independent they don't feel that the label can actually amplify or offer them anything that they can't get on their own. That's one of the most fascinating trends in the artist community right now. Like what Eric was saying, so many artists, whether it's Russ or, you know, um, a couple of these other acts, the, the names are escaping me right now, who have viable careers. And what do I mean by viable career? I mean, they do music and nothing else. They make their living. Now, no, they're not on the cover of People magazine or with number one hits, but they don't have to be. You know, when you look at acts like Frank Ocean or the 1975 or MGMT, these are all acts, by the way, who don't have enormous profiles on Spotify. And they're like, you know, up there. But you can't get a ticket to any of their shows. This is a very interesting point that Eric was bringing up just now, which I want to amplify. Many artists out there, Russ included, Last September, Russ did the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. That's 18,900 seats. And I was like, who is this guy? And when I learned, I was fascinated by the story. He built a following and a success. So do you have to be known by everybody? No. That's one of the most interesting things in relation to your question, Bobby, is that we're seeing more and more artists, and not only in the U.S., but throughout the world, able to re, to were able to build careers and have a career on their own without the success of a label. And what I want to say about that is the most interesting part, which is which goes unspoken a lot of times, is we as a culture, culture of the music industry, are completely redefining what success means. It used to mean big hits, big album sales, lots of tour, lots of concert tickets. We knew what the successes were. 
They were on those three parameters. It's not so simple anymore. Those parameters don't tell the whole story of what real success is for a lot of these artists. And those numbers, by the way, of independent artists doing this are getting greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. Yeah, making a living is the new success. Absolutely. Yeah. And and a healthy one. You know, maybe you're not making millions of dollars or but you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, that's that is very, very significant because the ability to do that 10 years ago didn't exist. Okay, Rich, here's one for you. And especially because you've had so much experience working at a major label. The way I look at it now is, yes, it's true. For the most part, an artist doesn't need a label until they hit the stardom level. And at that point, in order to become a superstar, a global star, the only entities that have that infrastructure are the major labels. And that's something that you can't recreate. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. And for a certain kind of artist, like, you know, The Weeknd or Ariana Grande or uh, Harry Styles, that is true. That is true. However, I think, you know, you look, you can, if that's your definition of success, you are right. That model of artist or that type of artist can only be built this time right now, anyway, with a major label and a worldwide infrastructure that can, that can support that. You are absolutely right. But not all artists are in that category, stylistically as artists uh, or career-wise. Let's look at somebody that you and I both know. Uh, who has a very, very successful career, Joe Bonamassa. That, and that's somebody who, you know, when you look at his story, he started, I think, with like 140 Facebook fans in 2002 or three. He tells the story how no one would sign him. He got the same story again and again. We can't sell Jeff Beck records. What in God's name makes you think we could sell you? He, he tells that story and how nobody would put his music out, but how he went ahead and built that audience. He now has a seven, eight figure a year career. And what's interesting about it, Bobby, is would you say he's a global superstar? No, not in the level of like a Harry Styles, but I would say he's a superstar within his, within his genre, within his realm. He's selling out Albert Hall. He's selling out, you know, three, four nights at the Wiltern. He's a superstar within his arena. So, and, and he did that independently. He has never to this day, and he's put out 14 albums, he's never to this day signed a, a, a label deal. So that's the difference. I think the answer to your question is yes, to become a global superstar of that ilk, a pop superstar, you do need that enormous infrastructure that a major label can offer. It'll be interesting to see who's the first to do that without a major label, to have that level of success. And I know that day is coming. May not be here today or next year, but it's coming at some point. So, yeah, I, I think you're right, but you're right within a certain style of music, not all styles. Okay, let's end with this. Tell me the details of Mubu TV. Where can people find it? Uh, you can find us, uh, I guess the good starting point is at our website, which is mubutv.com. That's M-U-B-U-T-V.com. And then uh, the other places are, you know, where we have most of our content is on YouTube, again, which is youtube.com forward slash Mubu TV or at Mubu TV now, since they've changed their thing to kind of simulate TikTok now with their URLs. But uh, yeah, those are the two places where you can find us. And also, uh, you know, on all the major podcasting platforms, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, 
uh, you know, all the places where Bobby's at right now, we're at too. You can find out more about Rich and Eric at MubuTV.com. That's MubuTV, M-U-B-U-T-V.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at BobbyOsinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at BobbyOsinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's BobbyOsinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to BobbyOsinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to BobbyOinnerCircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOinnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Thank you.